0: Are you familiar with faux wood or faux fur or faux finish? Faux products are products that are made to look like what they aren't. Uh, So at our house, we have faux wood floors. We chose a, a vinyl plank flooring that It's it's more affordable uh, because it's vinyl, it's water resistant, uh, it's easier to install. And so we chose this faux wood, it's vinyl, it looks like wood, because it was convenient, because it was more affordable, but we were very, very careful about the type of wood finish we look for. Because we wanted it to be the vinyl, convenient, more affordable product, but we wanted it to look like the real thing. We wanted it to look like wood. And some of you, you probably have some faux wood products in your house, right? Something that looks like wood, but actually it's plastic, right? It was made in a factory. Or maybe some of you, you have faux fur. You like the look of fur, but you didn't like the cost of fur, or you didn't like the idea of wearing a dead animal uh, on, on, your, on your body, right? Uh, it looks like fur, but it's not actual fur. And then a faux finish is a paint or finish that makes something look older than it actually is. It makes it look like an antique when it isn't. It makes it look rustic when it is brand new. And so perhaps you're familiar with this idea of a faux product. But what does the word faux even really mean? Well, it's French. And it's French for false or fake. And I want you to imagine if you, uh, you know, grew up in France, you spoke French, and you came to America, and you heard people referring to stuff as faux wood, and you went, oh, you mean fake wood, right? And if you heard someone refer to your product as fake wood, you'd be like, yeah, but it's nice, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not fake fake, it's, it's nice. And the reason that we use a French word that means fake for fake wood is because faux, because it's French, It sounds a little bit more fancy than fake or false. Even the word faux itself is a way of dressing it up to be something that it is not. I want you to imagine if perhaps you came from some other country and you didn't know what faux meant. And all you ever heard referred to as wood were actually faux wood products. And so eventually one day you're needing some... uh, some plastic and so you refer to it as wood because everything that you've ever seen referred to as wood is actually plastic it would be confusing to you if someone was like no that's not actual wood let me show you what actual wood is similarly there are people that their entire lives they've only heard the word christian in relation to a political party or to some conservative values, they've never come in contact with someone who lives the life of Jesus. And so the word Christian doesn't have a whole lot of meaning to them like perhaps it would to you or me, someone who is attempting to live the life of Jesus. In the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, we have a distinction between faux-Christianity and true religion, between nominal Christianity and what it means to actually live the life of Jesus. And the reason that there is this distinction in our world today that is so common is that we've come through an age where it was actually more convenient, it was actually more easy to call yourself a Christian than to not. There was a company that they were uh, a large grocery store chain, and they were opening up new grocery stores across the south. And so every time they were opening up a new grocery store, they would raise up one of their managers from a store that they had, and they would send them to this new town to start this, this new grocery store and be the general manager of this new grocery store. And one of the things that they told these managers that they were sending into these new cities where they were going to open up new grocery stores is they were instructed to go join the largest Baptist church in that town. It was a part of their job. Because in those towns in the South, you were going to be able to become connected to the community through the local Baptist church. Because everybody went to church on Sunday. In America, we've come through an age where it was almost easier to just go to church than not go. Because the pressure that was on you from perhaps your parents or your grandparents was, was man—it's just not worth dealing with. Just going to go to church. And it might be that you're here today because someone's pressured you to be here. Right? It was just easier to come to church rather than have an argument with mom or dad or your spouse. That used to be how it was for the community at large. And for people where, man, it, it's, it's just easier to go than to, than to not go. There became many people who considered themselves Christians who weren't really interested in following the way of Jesus. Now the guy who's writing the words that we're about to read lived in a completely different context. James is the brother of Jesus, or you could refer to him as the half-brother of Jesus because his parents are Mary and Joseph, and he did not believe in Jesus, which, I mean, it would be really hard to believe that your sibling was perfect, right? I have two siblings, and they still have a hard time believing that I am perfect. Um, James didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He was a skeptic. But he became convinced after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That was convincing to him. To see his half-brother die and then come back to life, he said, truly, this must be the Son of God. And so he's a skeptic who becomes a believer, and then he becomes a leader in the church, and he becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And persecution arises, and many church leaders flee Jerusalem, and God uses it to be a great thing because the church spreads. But James stays there in Jerusalem, where it's difficult to be a Jesus follower. It's hard. People are persecuted. So what James is very familiar with is people who choose to call themselves followers of Jesus, and it is very real. It's anything but convenient to call yourself a Christian. And so he is perfectly suited to show us what real Christianity looks like. Look with me at James chapter 1. We'll look at the end of chapter 1 before we get into chapter 2. James says in one twenty-two, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now this is important, this phrase, deceiving yourselves. Because it may be that you're here today and you just want other people to think you're a Christian so that they're not on your back. Or it could be that you're here today and you think you're a Christian. And you've deceived not other people, but even yourself. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. This is faux religion, James says. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James here gives us some really clear distinctions between real Christianity and faux Christianity. Something that has happened to me a couple of times is that I will be getting ready in the morning, and I will put gel in my hair, as I do every day, and then I will go put my shoes on or something along those lines. And I do this because I want the gel to have just like a moment to set a little bit before I comb my hair. But what often happens or what sometimes happens is I'm putting on my shoes or doing something and then I get a text message or receive a phone call and I lose track of what I'm doing and I don't look again at a mirror until I'm in the car on the way to work, right? or I haven't even looked at the mirror in the car to notice my own reflection, and I'm walking into the office, and there in the glass of the office door, I see myself, and I think, I put gel in my hair, but I never combed it. I saw myself in the mirror, but I forgot what I looked like. I forgot the condition that my hair was in. James says that someone who hears the word and does not act upon it is like me in those situations. You see yourself in a mirror, but you don't act on it. And listen closely, because this point, everything else hangs on this point. What James is telling us is if we hear the word and we don't act on it, we don't respond to it, We're like someone who looks in a mirror and forgets what he sees because God's word shows us who we truly are. When we look at God's word, what it reveals to us is that we have more than messed up hair. We have a messed up heart. We have a messed up life. And something desperately needs to be done. And it's going to take more than a comb or a brush to fix what is wrong with us. If we listen to the Word of God and we say, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that, that, was, that was great. Thank you, Pastor Daniel, for the message today. And then we walk away and nothing is different about our lives. That has done us no good. There must be something that changes in us. James says we cannot merely hear the Word only. We must have something changed in us. It must have an impact on us. We cannot be like someone who sees himself in a mirror and then takes no action. Now, we live in a time when a mirror is pretty standard. You have them all around you. You probably have multiple mirrors in your house. Perhaps some of you have a mirror in your purse right now. You get in your car, you flip down the visor, guess what's there? There's another mirror, another way for you to look At yourself. I think if you took people from biblical times and transported them to now, they'd be like, these people are in love with themselves. They see themselves all the time. Mirrors are common for us today. We regularly see our reflection. And even if you don't have a mirror, you can take your phone and point the camera at yourself, and you can see what you look like right now. And it can almost become common to us what we look like. It can be common to us what we look like right now. It can become so standard that we say, well, I guess this is just what it is. <laughs> There's no fixing this. In James's day, a mirror was less common. It was a big deal to have a mirror to see yourself. Probably they more often saw themselves the reflection in a pool of water. And if you got to see yourself in a mirror, or you went through the trouble of looking at yourself in a pool of water, you would take note of what you saw and do something about it. For many Christians, seeing ourselves in the mirror of God's Word can become so commonplace that we just don't do anything about it. that We take it for granted, or we easily become distracted by everything else. We should look at ourselves in the reflection of God's word and see that our hearts are broken. What God's word shows us is that we do not meet God's standard, that we are far from His standard of righteousness and holiness, that there is so much that is broken in us that needs fixing, that needs repair. James drives home his point in the next verses where he points out that some are, have, have gotten to this place where they're giving preferential treatment to others. Look at verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes, and you say to him, sit here in this good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there, Or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Now James is talking about people who are rich in earthly goods. They're wearing fine jewelry, a necklace. They have fine clothing. And James points out, listen, it makes no sense for us to show partiality in church, for us to say, hey, you're rich, you can have the best seats. Which in James' day was the one closest, but today it'd probably be the back seat, right? The one that everybody wants. He says this makes no sense because didn't Jesus choose to give to the poor? And if you have spent time reflecting upon who you are in God's Word, you should recognize yourself in this passage. Maybe not because you're poor, because you have no money in your bank account, but you recognize that spiritually you are bankrupt. Because God did choose to give good gifts to the poor. Us. We are the spiritually poor, the spiritually bankrupt. And if you've spent time looking at God's word and finding yourself there, what you will see is that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you are the poor that James is talking about, that God has given good good gifts to. And this is true of you no matter how much money you have in your bank account. You can be the richest people in the room. You can be the richest person in the room, or you can be the poorest person in the room. But without God, all of us are spiritually bankrupt. We are so far from meeting God's standard and so incapable of getting there on our own. We are the spiritually poor. We are the spiritually bankrupt. Now, oftentimes, what we see in the world is that those who are poor in finances actually have an easier time seeing themselves as poor in spirit, or spiritually poor. Recently, I read a post from a guy who works in finance, and he pointed out that that many he's surrounded by don't recognize themselves as among those with problems because they've never had any problems. He says, it's very apparent whose worldview has been shaped by everything going smoothly thus far in their life. No major illnesses in their family, no fertility issues, no early death, No major setbacks that were unforeseen. You'll notice this mostly with the this is the way advice or attitude that they have. Listen, just do these things. It'll work out for you. It's worked well for me. They don't recognize it's worked well for you because everything has gone so well for you so smoothly. You're happy, you're healthy, you're prosperous, and you think it's because you've done all the right things, but really it's just because you're fortunate. He says, God bless you, and just watch out for that Mike Tyson level left hook that life may throw at you any day now. You see, when everything's going just right in our lives, it's easy for us to fool ourselves, to deceive ourselves into thinking, yeah, I mean, things are going pretty well because I'm a great person. I'm a good guy because I work hard because I do what I'm supposed to. And if everybody else would just do what i'm doing they could get on this level but when we have been dealt a harsh blow by life when we've done everything right and we still get sick when we've worked hard and still been broke it's easy for us to recognize that man it doesn't matter how much i do i can't control this It's so much easier for us to see that we are in desperate need. And so if you're here today and you have suffered great loss, you've experienced great tragedy, you're facing illness, or you've lost someone that you love because they passed from this life to the next, or they walked out of your life, know that God can use that to help you see that your desperate need is right there. And it's a need that only He can meet. You see, if we look at ourselves through the filter of everything is great because I'm great long enough, we'll begin to think that we're truly great. But true followers of Jesus recognize themselves in the needy because they know they are needy. True followers of Jesus recognize themselves in the poor because they know that they are poor regardless of how much money is in their bank account. James says it makes no sense for you to show partiality between the financially rich and the financially poor when God has shown you no partiality and showing you grace regardless of your worth or how much you deserve it. See, when we're followers of Jesus, we have become followers of Jesus because we recognize our own desperate need and that only he can meet it. We recognize ourselves as the needy. If this wasn't strong enough, if James hasn't made his point yet, he goes to another level, taking on self-righteousness. Let's read verses 8 to 13, where James tackles self-righteousness. Verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by law as transgressors. Now, what James has just said here is very strong. He says, listen, if you're keeping all of the law, one of the laws is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're not doing that, if you're showing partiality, you're not loving your poor neighbor like you would love yourself, you're loving your rich neighbor more than your poor neighbor, you are breaking this commandment. And let me show you what you're like. Verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become become transgressors of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James says here, listen, you think that you're righteous because you've kept the law. But you would recognize that if you keep one law that says don't commit adultery, but you also break the other commandment about murder, you would say, okay, I'm, I'm guilty. James says you've put those law up here on this higher priority, this higher shelf, and you've forgotten about the law that says to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I'm telling you that they're all the same. And it doesn't matter if you don't commit adultery and you don't murder if you also don't love your neighbor. And this hits us right where we live, because it's commonplace In modern American Christianity, for us to think of ourselves as good people if we obey the Ten Commandments and we don't think anything about looking down on the poor neighbor who is in desperate need. There are whole political factions and and wings of political parties that they make a a whole lot of noise about keeping the commands about heterosexual and homosexual sins and how important they are, but they have nothing in their platform about helping their neighbor. James says, "How uh, how are you keeping the law if you are ignoring these portions of the law? You must keep them all. And he goes on to say that if you do not show mercy, mercy will not be shown to you. And if you doubt what James is saying here, think about what Jesus himself says in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that there will come a judgment day where he will separate the goats from the sheep. The goats are those who are not followers of Jesus, that they will not enter into eternal rest. The sheep are those who will. And it comes time to send the goats into everlasting destruction to go to hell. He says, depart from me because I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. And he says, those that are goats will say, when, Jesus, when did we not feed you? When did we not clothe you? When did we not welcome you in? And Jesus says, when you have failed to do it to the least of these, you have failed to do it to me. Jesus says that the mark of true Christianity will be that we do help those in need. This is serious. Now, if you're not careful, you'll listen to this message and you'll say, okay, to be a real Christian, I've got to go and help the needy. To be a real Christian, I've got to go help someone who needs something to eat. That's not James's point. James's point is: if you've truly received the goodness of God into your own life, recognizing how needy you are, you'll recognize yourself in the need of the person around you. If you've received the grace of God, you will be a true follower of Jesus who extends that same grace to others. Think about it this way. If you need actual wood, the trick isn't to make the vinyl look really, really convincingly like wood. Right? It's to go get actual wood. And we don't become Christians or followers of Jesus by doing all of the things that a Christian is supposed to do. We become followers of Jesus by experiencing His love and His grace. And when that happens, we will do the things that followers of Jesus should do. And that includes helping those in need if we have received the grace of god because we know our desperate need we will have true righteousness and james gives us one final illustration of this look with me at verses 14 to 17 what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can faith save him If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Do you see what James is saying? James is saying, listen, if there's someone that is in need of food and clothing, and you say, you need food and clothing, go and be fed and and dressed and you don't give them what they need, what good did that do? That did them absolutely no good. And the same is true if we say, I have faith. I am a follower of Jesus, but there is no substance to it. It's just as empty as saying, go be filled, go be clothed, without giving the person what they actually need. And likewise, we cannot be Christians by simply saying we are Christians if we have not been given what we desperately need. And what we desperately need is the grace of God purchased for us by Jesus Christ. Only he can provide what we desperately need. Only he can clothe us with righteousness and fill our hearts with. With love, And when he has done that, then we are able to say, I am filled and I am clothed. And having experienced that, I want to do it for others. I want to help others experience that love that filled my heart and that righteousness that clothed my brokenness. But I'm not able to fill your heart with love. I'm not able to clothe you with righteousness. I don't have it within me to do that for you. As much as I would love to pay for your sins, I could even pay for my own. Only Jesus could do that for me, and only Jesus can do it for you. I don't have it within me to pay for your sins and to fill your heart with love. So what I can do is I can give you a loaf of bread, that will fill your stomach. And I can give you a coat that will clothe your body to be an example of what it is that Jesus did for me. Just as my works demonstrate the faith that I have because Jesus gave me what I needed, my works can demonstrate that it is what you desperately need. Dino Rizzo is a, is a pastor he, Served in New Orleans as a pastor for many years and now serves in Alabama. But he wrote a book called Servolution, which talks about how he believed the church is meant to serve those all around us. And the reason that he's passionate about this is because when he was a young man, around 18 or 19 years old, he's working on a beachfront and some Christians came by and they gave him a cold drink. They were out walking around just giving people something cold to drink and asking if they could talk to them for a few minutes about Jesus. Dino Rizzo had no use for Christianity. He didn't go to church. He didn't grow up going to church. But when he saw these people, he said, man, I could use something cold to drink. It's hot out here. And so he took the drink and he talked with them for a few minutes and he didn't really listen to what they had to say. But a couple of years later, he found himself in a situation where his life was in shambles and he recognized his spiritual need. And the words that he heard that day, that he hadn't really heard but he'd kind of heard, they came back to him. He remembered that those people had loved him and their kindness. They couldn't fix what was wrong with Dino's heart. They couldn't pay for his sins, but they could give him a cup of cold Kool-Aid and they could share with him what God had done in their life. And when he recognized his need, he was ready. He was ready. If you're here today and you're a believer, if God has truly given you grace and love and filled your heart. It should look like doing for others and showing them love as an example of the need that God met in your heart. If you're here today and you're seeking Jesus, know that what you need, only he can provide. Only he can give you. And we're here today attempting to show you love so that you can meet the one who can meet your need. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.